Okay, Liz, here's some quick math. The less your business spends on operations, multiple systems, delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs, you cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems, and you improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hollywood. NetSuite.com slash Hollywood. NetSuite.com slash Hollywood. Okay, who's having a drink? Ah, uh, I think I'm doing a martini. Oh, In me honor too. of the martini scene. Yes, the martini scene of our pilot. We should have martinis. Everybody in? Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, and welcome to Happier in Hollywood, the podcast about how to be happier, healthier, saner, more creative, more successful, and more productive in a backbiting, superficial, chaotic, unpredictable, fundamentally insane world. I'm Sarah Fain, a TV writer and producer living in LA, and with me is my high school friend and writing partner of 18 years, Liz. That's me, Liz Craft. On this podcast, we talk about being writers in Hollywood, how we balance a career and friendship, and how to survive the war of attrition that is life in Los Angeles. And today, we are live at one of the fixed locations. We're near Paramount Studios in the heart of Hollywood. Um, so there'll be some ambient sound that we don't have in the studio. <laughs> and today, we're going to talk about post-production, which we are about to move into. What is it and why is it so hellish? So many reasons. And we'll get into them all. Then we're going to talk to one of our very favorite development executives, Juan Alfonso of ABC Studios. And we'll have a hair-related Hollywood hack that comes straight from the head of our hair department on the fix. All right, so Liz, first up is our segment from the treadmill desks of, in which we discuss what's most pressing in our work psyches this week, and this week it's post-production. There's writing scripts, there's prepping and shooting scripts, and then there's post-production. Yes, it's like you finish the last scene of the the show and you think like, okay, now we're done, but no, you're just starting because you have to edit the thing. Now, the post-production schedule on an episode of a show often is not that bad. Right. Depending on... You might have months to finish something. Exactly. On a pilot, it's hideous. You basically have a month from when you finish shooting to when you turn in the final, final, final cut to the network to edit, do music, do sound design, do visual effects, do ADR... What does ADR stand for? Uh, good question. It's basically when the actors go into a sound studio. Alternative dialogue recording? Maybe. That's my guess. Uh, actors go into a sound studio, and like if the sound was bad on set or on the location, they 
do it into a microphone where the sound is controlled and then you put that kind of on top of the scene. On and top sometimes of the if things are confusing, the studio or network might ask for ADR lines to clarify something. So then you have to put dialogue on someone's back. So if you're yeah. ever watching TV and you notice there's a lot of lines on someone's back, it's probably because it was added in post. <laughs> exactly. There's a saying... Um, that we all laugh about, which is fix it in post. Like if anything is going on wrong on set, someone's just like, we'll fix it in post, which is like post hates that, of course, because then all these problems are dumped in their lap. <laughs> yes. Liz, we have late breaking news from Shara. ADR is additional dialogue replacement. Okay. I wasn't so far off yeah. with my alternative dialogue <laughs> recording. Yes. So thank you, Shara. <laughs> uh, now, the thing about post, Sarah, that, you know, is added stress beyond yeah. just the time frame is just like we get notes throughout the script process and the pitch process. We get notes throughout um, the post process. Yeah. Once, you know, once the studio sees the first cut, they do um, testing. Oh God. Okay. So let's quickly go into kind of what happens after we finish shooting. Okay. And then we'll get to that part, which is the worst part. I just jumped to the thing that makes my stomach <laughs> churn and the bile rise in my throat exactly okay so we finished shooting the director will then get like four days to do her cut yes and then we come in and we only get three days to do our cut before it goes to the studio and by the way we get it on a friday we either get it late on a thursday night or on a friday morning so two of our three days are weekend days yes which is why my aunt is coming to town thank you aunt Jean. um and then it goes to the studio. The studio will watch it, give notes, and then it's like an incredibly short period of time also before it goes to the network for the first time. Yes, and then during this whole time, we're working with our composer, who our composer on the fix is Greg Trippy, to get original music uh, going. And so he's got an incredibly short amount of time. Yes. Now, it used to be that you would just sort of put in temp music you yeah. would pick a movie or a tv show that had the same kind of music philosophy as your show and put in temp music and you know it may have worked it may have not have worked but the the music bar was a bit lower now you have to have a composer compose your entire pilot before it goes for the final time to the network. And if you're putting in what we call needle drops, which are the songs playing in the show, you have to know that you can clear them. In other yeah. words, that you can pay for them. So you can't just put in a Rolling Stones song because you like it. It may cost like hundreds of thousands of dollars. You need to know that all of the songs you're choosing fit into the budget that you have for the pilot because the studio doesn't want the network to fall in love with a song that's too expensive. Right. Um, and sometimes post can be really fun. I mean, it's definitely a, a group, like an intensely group-oriented yes. activity. You're basically sitting in a dark room with the other producers and the editor and, for days on end. Yes. And sometimes executives come in for yeah. long stretches of time as well. And it can be really fun. Like, we're talking about the hellishness of it, yeah. which is largely the time frame. Yeah. Um, and really creative. Sean Ryan always talked about editing as the final rewrite. Which it really is. Yeah. Um, and that part can be really fun. It can also just be super stressful. Because often, not often, sometimes on a pilot, you don't get things. Like right. there are things in the script. And for a variety of reasons, the director didn't shoot them. This happened on a pilot that we had. And then you're trying to cut around 
an enormous something out of nothing. Yes. Um, And that can be absolutely hellish. I don't anticipate that on this pilot. No, I think we've really got good coverage on everything. Yeah. Um, Knock on wood. Yeah. And in those times, you're literally just, I mean, you're in the editing room 24-7. I'm reminded of a pilot we did, Sarah, where we watched the first cut, the director's cut, (laughs) um, by ourselves in a dark room. And you were like, excuse me for a second. (laughs) And you stepped out and made a call. I called my parents and said, you need to come to town immediately. Can you be here tomorrow? And this was, I have to add, after they'd already been helping you out a lot for an extended period of time and had just returned home. Yes, exactly. I was like, you have to come back. Mm. And they did. They did come back. Um, Yeah. Mm. I've learned some lessons since then. I already have my aunt lined up to be (laughs) here. You know you need someone. Yeah. And then, Liz, the eating. Yes. As hard as it is not to eat a lot on set, all you have to do in editing is stress eat. Yeah. I mean, if ever there were a time when I am going to chow down on Porto's potato bowls, it is in editing. Yeah. It's like it gets, eating gets you through the day. Yeah. Snacking and leaving to eat and uh, it's like order yeah and you're just sitting i mean butt in chair for like 15 hours yeah so i think we need uh, to be preemptive and have some kind of plan in place like we need to have an entire table full of cut up green apples sprinkled with cinnamon or something you know what we should do also is set a steps goal like even if it's not ten thousand, like let's say we have to get five thousand steps that's good. And we'll be in there with Marsha. And she's yes. very good about like getting up and walking and you know, sure being is. active. Okay. Yeah. So that's our goal. All right. So say we get through all that. Then we get to what I mentioned earlier, which is testing. Ugh. And testing is when um, it's first the studio and then the network. But the studio is sort of the level at which we really are deeply engaged with it. Um, show the pilot to an audience, a random audience, usually 50-50, male, female. And it's that thing where you they're turning a dial. If they like it, they turn the dial up. If they don't like it, they turn the dial down. If they feel that they would just turn the channel, they click it off and you still see their reaction, but they're now their little circle is turned into a triangle and you know that they're not watching your show. The triangle is like the worst thing you can see. And you watch it in live, usually live as they're doing this. So you're just sort of seeing it go up and down, pink for women, blue for Ugh. men. You're seeing the triangles pop up. And it is the most nerve-wracking. Gutting. Um, yeah, gutting experience. And then afterwards, people are divided into groups and they're grilled about what they think about the show. And for whatever reason, the way they do testing, it's always very negative um, yeah. stance toward the show. So it's never like, what did you love? It's like, what confused you? What did the main character do that turned you off to them? You know, it's what it's, did you hate the most about this yes. shitty pilot? That's Why, what it feels yes, like. Exactly. It's awful. <laughs> But anyway, based on testing, we then do another pass yeah. um, on the show. A lot of times it's confusion issues or if somebody isn't popping enough, so maybe you give them more close-ups or you change music in the scene to communicate to the audience what they're supposed to be feeling. Yeah. And then at some point you turn the whole thing over to the network and you just hope for the best. And that's when we do a lot of hikes on Fryman Canyon. Exactly. <laughs> While we wait. Yes. To try to calm our nerves. And that, I mean, it's a couple weeks until you find out yeah. whether your 
show is going. And during that time, we're meeting with writers. Yeah. Because what we're hoping is that we're going to have to staff this show. And as always, it's a feeding frenzy. So the second we get news, yes, this is going, we want to be able to make offers to several writers. So it's not even like we're totally relaxed. No, it never lets up. No. And then if your show goes, it never lets up again. As we say, it's the only business where you pray for hell. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) For the next hundred episodes of hell. So that's post-production. Let's Uh, hope we're in post-production hell for many years to come. Yes. Uh, Next, we'll talk to ABC Studios development executive Juan Alfonso. But first, a word from our sponsor. Liz, there is nothing I love more than having a delicious meal that I didn't have to cook, which is why I have been getting no prep, no mess meals from Factor. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. Last night, I had blackened salmon with broccoli and with cauliflower rice. It was so delicious. It was the perfect dinner. Head to factormeals.com slash HIH50 and use code HIH50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code HIH50 at factormeals.com slash HIH50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Sarah, now it's time for our favorite new segment, uh, which we call Name That Hollywood Job, because everyone knows about writers and directors and actors and publicists, but there are so many interesting and unusual, or at least unusual to people outside of Los Angeles, jobs, and we're going to talk about all of them. Yes, and today we're going to talk to ABC Studios Vice President of Drama Development, Juan Alfonso, who has been working with us on The Fix. Since he came to ABC Studios in 2013, Juan has worked on a number of projects that became series, including the Emmy-winning American Crime from John Ridley and Secrets and Lies, starring Juliette Lewis and Ryan Philippi. Am I saying Philippi right? You are. Okay, good. Thank you. Um, And Marvel's television series agent Carter and this season's Kevin Probably Saves the World. Previously, Juan led new content development and production for ESPN International, overseeing the launch of new documentaries, scripted programs, and selected audio shows in all five continents. Yes, recently Juan's play, An Educated Guest, was read at Steppenwolf Theater in Chicago, which is huge. So he is multi-talented. <laughs> Renaissance man. Yes, exactly. Um, Juan, Welcome, thank Juan. you. Thanks for having me. <laughs> I'm excited. I'm, I'm, as you guys know, I'm a fan of the show. Yeah, you are in our Facebook group, which I appreciate. I am. I think I'm pretty sure I'm the only guy in the whole yeah. group, but I love it. There's a few. Yes, you're an official friend of the pod. I love it. Yeah. Uh, well, first of all, what? tell us what a development executive does, because I think most people have absolutely no idea. Okay. Uh, well, I think the reason why is because we do different things at different times. Uh-huh. And, and the way I try to explain it is, the first part of our job is to be a matchmaker, and it's a matchmaker, mm. matchmaker of idea and people. Mm. So, uh, you know, it's ideas that hopefully eventually can come, can uh, turn into TV shows, uh, with writers, with producers, with directors, with a whole host of people that can make it come to life. 
that's that's the first part of our job. And in broadcast television, that tends to be in the summer and into the fall. Then the second part of our job is really about, it's almost like a book editor. We give feedback. And we give feedback on every step of the process, whether it's um, on an outline of what the script is going to become, whether it's the script itself, whether it's the rough cuts, um, whether it's music, uh, you well, know, going costume, all the way back to else. pitches. All, all, that's right. We start all the way at the pitch, right? And so the idea there is to sort of hold up a mirror to, to what, what it is that's presented to us and say, I think you meant to say this, but it's coming off as this. And I think you guys are doing great here. I think the network's going to react negatively to this. Why don't we think of it another way? That's sort of the feedback part of the job. And then the final part of the job, as I see it, is really to help the creators navigate through this very difficult <laughs> system that is development, <laughs> this very difficult process, uh, which is, uh, I think the reason it's so hard because it has so many steps and people get fatigued. Um, so our job is to help navigate, to encourage, to cheerlead when necessary, to help avoid pitfalls and so on. Yeah, and we should clarify, you work for the studio, so you're a seller, right. and, the, and the network is the buyer. Right. So you, you and we also, but I think you really need to see everything as a selling tool. Yes, And that exactly. does start with the pitch, and you are the first person who heard the fixed pitch. And awesome. I remember watching you <laughs> smile during it yeah. and thinking, well, this is good. Not even the pitch, like the just the well, kernel of the idea. It was you like were sitting a, in our office. Two minutes. We were in yeah. Lori's office. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I remember that. And yeah. we were like, listen to this. <laughs> I, I've been accused of being very expressive during yeah. pitches, uh-huh. which is, I, I think, a good thing. Yeah, well, it was uh, good in that case because we could tell you liked it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so how does someone become a development executive and what are the different kind of levels leading up to where you are? Sure. Well, my journey is very, very different, right? I, I, I worked in, in advertising for almost 10 years. Uh-huh. I did TV commercials and print ads and billboards and everything else. <laughs> then, then I worked in sports television for about 10 years. Uh, and and, and I, I first started in marketing, but then I did uh, documentaries and documentary series and studio shows, news, all sorts of different things. So I came into this as a 40-year-old guy from the side door. What usually <laughs> happens is people start as assistants either at an agency or a network at a studio and they work their way up to become a coordinator and then they become a junior uh, executive, creative executive, and they work their way up. And what made you make the switch into... Yeah being a development executive? You know, my first switch was actually at ESPN when I was working in marketing and I was working in the international business and we had a very, very successful documentary series here at ESPN in the United States. And I went to my boss and I said, you know, I think we can do this sort of thing for the international space. And I made him a deal. I said, I'll do both jobs for a year. And if you, uh, if I'm good, you'll let me do the job. And if I'm terrible, I'll go back to just being a marketing guy. And uh, amazingly, they said yes. And I don't know if I got lucky or if I've done something right in a previous life, but I, I got a lot. I got three shows on the air in oh the first year, and uh, and it snowballed from there. So that's how that started. And then when I moved to, because that was in New York City, when I moved to Los Angeles, I was at this charity event. I was sitting next to a Disney uh, Disney ABC recruiter. She's like, "Oh, we need we need a development person at the studio." And I said, "Well." 
what I do is, is different. Uh, no, 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 just come talk to us. So I went and I sat down with the guy who became my boss, Michael McDonald, uh, who's an incredible producer yeah. and a friend. Yeah. And, uh, and we hit it off and, and he hired me. You know what I want to know, Juan, from a selfish point of view, is um, <laughs> writers. So obviously a huge part of your job is working with writers. Yes. What mistakes do we make over and over again that you feel you could stop us from making? Because I think a lot of times we don't, it's just a lack of knowledge. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like we need a school to tell us, like, this is how you work with development executives. Um, I feel like we've learned over the years by making a lot of mistakes, whatever. But I would love for you to tell writers out there, what can they do right? And what are they, do you often see them do wrong Okay. in the process? The biggest mistake that I see often is trying to guess what the network is going to want. Oh, we do that all the time. <laughs> and, and, and really uh, writing to that versus writing to what you feel is right. And, it, and it's easy to do because they are the customer, right? And at least supposedly the customer is always right, which is not true. Sometimes <laughs> we have to show them what's right. Um, and, you know, or, or to what the studio is. You know, again, the... the the iterative process that that development is makes it's great for getting you to second guess yourself Uh, and often people default to like well what do do they want and i would encourage people to to, when they when they recognize when they're aware that they they're thinking that way or that they're starting to act that way to take a step back and say wait why did i start writing this what was it that i fell in love about Mm. this what was it that people got excited about and to, to write to that, when you start to guess what the network's going to want, the result is almost always a little bit blander, a little bit more vanilla, a little bit more down the middle. So um, that's my first thing. My second thing, which, again, it, it, it's, it comes with experience, and, and maybe you have to hit a few walls face first to do this, but it's to, to pick battles. Mm, you know, yeah. some people come in and they fight every single battle like it's Iwo Jima, and it, it's, it's not good for your health. It's not good. <laughs> you know, you're going to run out of energy. It, it's to really recognize the things that are worth fighting to, because when you do, then they're really going to matter. And, and then people will most likely be like, you know what? These are reasonable folks. Uh, they, this is really important to them. All right, let, let's go, let's go ahead. Let's go ahead and, and, and try to make this happen. Um, and then, and then the final thing is sometimes people come in with a us versus them attitude or mindset. Mm-hmm. Uh, we suffered from that early in our career. Yeah, <laughs> we're familiar. You know, and, and, and it's it's again, it's easy to go that way because you're very passionate about telling this story in a certain way. You think you're in the on the same page at the beginning of the process, yeah. and all of a sudden. You know, you're thrown all these roadblocks, um, and 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 it's very very easy to, to think like, wait wait, is it something against me? And I promise you, I promise you, the studio and the network also want this to be amazing. Um, and the only way through that is through communication and dialogue and transparency, yeah. and you know, uh, trying to trying to put feelings aside and say, all right, let's talk this through. And, and more often than not, it gets resolved, at least in my experience. 
And the notes process, because I think one of the hardest things for writers is dealing with getting notes. Mm -hmm. um, I think we've gotten so used to it in our career that it doesn't even phase us, mm -hmm. really, because we don't take it personally. Right. But what's your advice for young writers who are just experiencing this gauntlet of notes for the first time? Because I think, I mean, on our first pilot we ever did, when we got our first notes from the network, we wanted to quit. I mean, legitimately, not because... We were being brats, but we were like, well, they don't like us. Obviously, we shouldn't be doing this project. This is insanity. And we didn't know that was fairly normal. <laughs> it, yeah, it, it is. It is. And look, different, different places give more or less feedback. Different executives right. give more or less feedback. The level of detail varies as well. But there is that, you know, the scenario where you're, uh, you know, developing your first thing and you get just an avalanche, an overwhelming avalanche uh, of stuff to where you don't even know where to start. Right. right. And what I would say is to, one, remember that it is fairly normal, yeah. you know. So you, you're not the first or the last person to go through this. The second thing is to, you know, if it's well organized, that avalanche, it'll at least have, here's the four or five most important things. Mm. And... I, I would do two things. I, I would think about those, even though they mo they, they're probably the most daunting ones. <laughs> uh, start immediately, see if you can tackle one or two. Because once you get momentum, uh, I have found, and I, I've talked to a lot of sort of young writers on this, once you get momentum, then, then, then you're like, okay, well, this is not that bad. I, I've gotten one of these. And then another trick uh, is if there's a few easy ones, do those. And then sort of trick yeah. yourself like, okay, I, I, I kind of got this going. I'm good. Okay, I can tackle some of the bigger ones. Yes. That's great advice. It is. Um, so we talked about how you're kind of, you were our first stop for the pitch of the fix. Um, when, when writers come to you with an idea, when they come to you with a pitch, what are you looking for? So, so the biggest thing that I look for is just some good old-fashioned storytelling. I want to be leaning in. I want to hear... Uh, I want to, I want to have a visceral reaction. I, I want to like be dying to know what's next. You know, uh, if you make me feel something in that pitch, I'm much, much more likely to buy it. And then there's some more operational things. It needs to be sustainable. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it, it, there's a lot of ideas that are great, but aren't big enough to sustain a, a television show. I personally look for originality, you know, if we're going to do a police procedural, okay, well, what's interesting and different about it? You know, that's the one thing that I learned in my marketing years is uh, one of the big important points of selling a product is differentiation, mm. you know? And and how do you, uh, one of my clients was, was Miller Lite. It doesn't get more down the middle, right? right? <laughs> and then there was Bud Light and Amstel Light and God knows whatever. You know, how do we make this different? What is it that we say about this product that makes it, that makes it different? Similarly, when, when, you, when you pitch a story, it's like, well, it does have all these things that people love about two-hand or cop procedural, but this is what's going to give it that top spin. This is why people watching the promo are going like, to cock their heads and say, all right, well, that, that's cool. I'm interested. I'm going to talk to my, my friend about it or my wife about it, and, and we're going to check this out. So that's really important. Um, and then, you know, this is related to, to, to the first part, which is passion. Mm. And you can't fake it. People either come in and they're really passionate and you can immediately tell from your gut 
or, or, or they're not. And that's not to say that we don't buy all sorts of things, but when people come in with passion for a cer- certain subject matter or a theme uh, or a character, uh, again, we're much more likely to buy it. Now, Juan, before we let you go, do you have any Hollywood hacks, like suggestions for how we can stay happier in this crazy, crazy I do. I do. So uh, one of my New Year resolutions uh, was to to drop a few LBs Mm, uh, on nothing other than, uh, I guess, health, but vanity more than anything. I looked in the mirror (laughs) and I'm like, ah. We, we could we could do better. So uh, one thing I think that which is your your new resolution to weigh yourself. Yeah, I, I've done that for years. I think okay. that's fantastic. And, and but you do have to write it down. Yes, and I'm doing. Um, that. Yeah, it's 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 very important. Um, and I actually use a, an app called My Fitness Pal where it oh, gives I you a little that. graph chart. And you, if you see it going down, that right. builds momentum. You're like, oh, look at this, a little downward trend. And then you you that day you're more motivated to eat better. But the one thing that, that I've tried, which I had heard about for a while, is this thing called intermittent fasting, yeah. where you only eat for eight to nine hours in, in the day. So for example, if you have your first meal at noon, you can eat up to eight o'clock at night, and then you have to fast the rest of the time. There's physical, biological reasons that I don't quite understand why it's good for you. It's supposed to help you live longer. It, it, it has all these health benefits. But to me, uh, just by the fact that I, I skipped breakfast, which was hard at first, but I've gotten used to it now, uh, that in combination with my little calorie count thing it has had great results. And, and you have to eat the same amount of calories. It's not like you eat less. You just have to eat it in a compressed period of time. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. Right? And I, I've dropped almost 20 pounds since the beginning of the year. Wow. So, well, you so, really yeah. look great. Thank you. Very I, handsome thank you. man. Wow. Stop it. <laughs> uh, thank you. But uh, I actually keep going. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the, the reality is, uh, for me, once I start to see results, and you can see results pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. And again, that motivates me to keep going. And I, I reached my goal, which was to reach 180 pounds. And now I have to go to my next phase. Like, okay, I don't want to lose anymore. How do I maintain this right. thing? But intermittent fasting, you know, over three months, uh, my goal is to lose a pound a week, something like that. And, and it's worked pretty well. I think people should check it out. Well, Juan, we, first of all, thank you for supporting The Fix as you have from day one. You've been an amazing cheerleader and partner, and hopefully you will continue to be so for several years. Well, yeah. What we should say, the yeah. weird thing is when you're a development executive, though, you take it, the project through like the first six episodes yeah. and then you're on to new development and you get, we get handed over to current. So yeah. hopefully next year we'll be here with our current executive talking exactly. to them. Yes. Yes. And, and, uh, and with new development. Yeah. Yes. Well, we'll see about that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Thank you so much. Thank Ron. you guys. Thanks, really appreciate Ron. it. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates – Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, Sarah, it's time for this week's Hollywood hack. Hair tips from the Fix's amazing hair department, Doug Kirkpatrick and Mio Lai. 
So, Sarah, we all want better hair. Yes, we do. Safe to say. But there are so many products, and we don't know what they all do and which ones are the best. So we figured we have experts amongst us. Let's ask them to suggest some products. Yeah, a couple products that not everyone would know about, but that could improve our hair game and make us look glamorous and Hollywoody. Especially when we don't have time to shower. Exactly. Which yeah. I've discussed on this podcast. I've done less and less of as the pilot has progressed. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so Doug and Mio gave us a couple hair products that they use on actors and actresses' hair, um, and we are going to share them with you. The first one is Osis Powder. Liz, these things are so uh, sort of inside baseball that we don't even totally understand what they do. So tell us what Mio said about Osis Powder. Well, this is a powder that you use when you've been sweating a lot, which can Uh. happen on a set. So the, the powder, you put it on your scalp and it clings to new hair growth, which is hair that is, is fresh, virgin hair that hasn't been touched. And it, it clings to that and I think sort of separates the little new hairs and causes volume. And this is something that's great to use if you've been sweating, like I said. And he said they use it all the time in Dancing with the Stars because that show, you stay, all the contestants sweat so much, they need to have their hair touched up. So they'll put Osis powder on to refresh their volume. And keep it glamorous. Yes, keep it glamorous and not lank, sweaty, dangling locks of hair. Okay, so that's a good one. And then we also have Doug's recommendation, which is Oribe Dry Texture Spray. Um, so that you also spray on new growth. And it's sort of like a dry shampoo. It texturizes and uh, makes your hair appear fresh and voluminous. Yes. And I love the fact that these are all like sort of in place of a dry shampoo Mm -hmm. because it seems like an easy way to look professional and put together. Like for those of us who aren't actors on sets, having someone do our hair, this is a way to just look better. And everyone needs volume. I mean, every day I struggle with how to make my hair less flat. So I'm going to go out and get some Oribe Dry Texture Spray. Yes. And one interesting thing to note, Sarah, we asked Doug and Mia, well, how are these different from just using hairspray? Like, what's the difference in these products? Yeah. One thing is hairspray is on the surface of the hair. These are products that you use at the scalp level. So we wish everyone luck with their new hair products. Let us know if they work (laughs) for you. I want to hear. And Sarah, you and I can check back in and see if we've upped our hair game. Yes. Thank All right. you. So thank you, uh, Doug and Mio, for those tips. And that is it for this episode of Happier in Hollywood. Email us or send us a voice memo at happierinhollywood at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and please subscribe if you haven't already. Thanks to Shara Morris for helping out on this episode. Thanks to our producer, Jennifer Lai. Also, thanks to Kristen Meinzer and Andy Bowers of Panoply. Thank you to Gretchen Rubin. Happier in Hollywood is part of the Onward Project. Get in touch. I'm on Instagram at Fain and Liz is at Liz Craft. We also have a Facebook group. Search for Happier in Hollywood on Facebook to join in on the conversation. You can also follow The Fix on Twitter, Sarah. Yes. Um, at The Fix Writers. Until next week, I'm Liz Craft. And I'm Sarah Fain. Thanks for joining us. It's a fun job. And we enjoy it.
Liz, you can see the Hollywood sign from here. Oh, my God. Isn't that crazy? Remember, we could see it from the window of our very first office on a primetime show. Oh, I remember that. Yes, that was not a fun job. We did not enjoy it. <laughs>